Hey, I've been looking forward to sharing this message um, that the Lord's given me, and we're going we're gonna to spend about five weeks on this subject, and the title, we'll get a title slide up here for you so you know where we're headed. The title of, the, of this series is More Than Meets the Eye, More Than Meets the Eye, and we're really going to dig into, we obviously know that we walk in the spiritual and we walk in the natural. Okay, the spiritual and the physical. We know that. We're, we're in church today. We're lifting our hands and we're singing to a God that's unseen. So we understand that. But I think somewhere between our worship and our prayer that we can lose sight of and lose vision of how consistent this is in our daily walk when it comes to discerning what could be a spiritual battle, what could be a spiritual promise, and learning how to walk this out. Now this week, I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of introduction and laying a foundation. Uh, next week, I, I want to whet your appetite already, and I know that's unfair at the beginning, but I, I, I've been looking into the scriptures, and I've, I get asked a lot, Pastor Brad, how come so-and-so wasn't healed even more quickly? You know, how come this person hasn't been physically healed more quickly? There are about 30 different ways in the scriptures, and I'm kind of ballparking that, about 30 different ways, as I've started outlining, that we see that God gives physical healing. Do you know that? So when we're calling upon the Lord for healing, it's more, there's more than one way that that'll take place. Beth just read one, and I'm not going to elaborate on it because that's going to be in part of this study. One of the ways when you call the elders of the church to pray and anoint with oil, there's obedience, that we call someone to, to, to pray over us. There's times that we're heal, healed when we obey. How many of you have ever read the scriptures where Jesus cast a demon out of someone and when he cast that devil out, all of a sudden they could speak and, and they could hear because before they couldn't speak and they couldn't hear. So literally their healing came from a deliverance. So let's just say that somebody didn't have the ability to speak and we had 500 of us laying hands and saying, oh God, we pray that you'll touch the vocal cord. Asking God to touch the vocal cord isn't going to work if there's a spirit that's keeping someone from speaking. We actually need to speak against that spirit. So healing can come from deliverance. So when we start talking about more than meets the eye, it's more than just going, I know that we live in a world where spiritual and, and physical are going together. We're talking about, God, would you open our spiritual perception, ears, sight, understanding, so that we can walk this out effectively? I'm believing this is going to be transformational for our congregation. I want, I want to walk in this so much more in my own life. Here's an opening thought. It's horrible English, but it kind of sets this thing up. Just because something is unseen, it doesn't mean that it's unreal. Okay? Just because it's unseen, it doesn't mean that it's unreal. And we've all heard the story of the, of the professor that stood in front of his class and said, can you see God? Can't see God, then there's no God, and goes through the thing. And finally, the, the female student raises her hand, and she says, can you see our professor's brain? No. Can you feel his brain? No. Can you touch his brain? Then our professor doesn't have a brain, right? And, and, and somebody amen me on that one. Um, so we, we've all understand that we have to accept by faith that there are things that we don't see that are very much there. Now, I've met some people in my life that I wonder if they have a brain. Anybody else? But ultimately, we know for them to be functioning, it has to be there. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, 
we'll kind of use this as our text for this series. It says this, Paul saying, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the first thing that I want to mention from this is probably the least point of the verse. And that is that the seen things do matter. We're not saying that visible things don't matter, but we are saying that visible things are temporary. Isn't it amazing that we live in a culture where we spend as much money as we do for the body that is perishing, and we don't focus as much on the internal and the eternal, right? So everything that we see is temporary. And I, I remember when my grandpa passed away, this is my grandpa Giesler, my mom's dad, first real close person to my life that I lost. And he was a Folgers coffee drinker, so he never really had the benefit of knowing what coffee was supposed to taste like. <laughs> I hate that for him. But he, he also grew up in the Depression, and if you went to Grandpa Giesler's house and he said, do you want me to brew a pot of coffee, you would say, um, is this a fresh pot of coffee? because he was known to run hot water through the grounds five, six times and make it last as long as possible. And I remember when Grandpa Giesler died, I remembered being mad at Folgers. It was weird. Not that Folgers killed him. Um, Maxwell House would, but I don't know if Folgers would. Uh, but I remember being, are they still around, by the way, Maxwell House? Yeah, okay, all right. I remember being mad that Folgers was still here, but Grandpa was gone. That's something that my memories of him where he always had a cup of Folgers in his hand and he's gone, but Folgers is still here. And kind of dealing with how life continues to go after someone that you love is gone. How many kind of know what I'm talking about, okay? So think we, everything that's physical, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. And I don't want to infer in any way in this series that, that the physical, what we see doesn't matter. It does matter. But I do want us to realize that what we see is temporary and what we don't see is eternal. And so we need to focus on the eternal more than we do the temporary. At least we can give it that kind of credence. Now this verse comes at the end of a pretty powerful chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter or exegete the whole thing. We won't have time for that today. But I'll, I'll just kind of remind you, some of you will know some of these key verses uh, chapter 4 uh, starts off when it says that we carry this treasure in jars of clay. And the treasure that he was referring to was the glory of God. In the Greek, it's doxa. In the Hebrew, it's kavod. It's the glory, weighty, splendid presence of God. And Paul was really reminding the Corinthians about the beauty of this mystery, that this glory of God that we've all been awestruck by in the past, he's moved into us, and we're jars of clay. Have you ever said things like, man, life's really fragile, and yet we can be so resilient, and you see what somebody can come through, and yet we can be so fragile at the same time. And Paul kind of, he pictured that as us being clay jars that have this glory of God that we've been given and that flows through us. Now the problem is, you would think more people would want that. Wow, if you can carry the glory of God, I want that in my life. But he identifies that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to the light of the glory of God, okay? So he's, he's saying to us, yes, we've got this incredible glory, and the enemy is trying to keep people from seeing it. And notice he didn't say blinded their eyes, but he said blinded their minds. 
One of the things that I pray for non-believers regularly is not open their eyes, but Lord, open their minds. Open their minds to hear and to understand and to know you. So the glory of God in jars of clay, the enemy blinding the minds of, of unbelievers so that they can't see the light of the glory of Christ. And then he says, and that's why we shine. That's why we step into the darkness and we shine. Can I remind you, Christians? We're not called to hide away from the darkness and be intimidated or scared uh, by it. We're called to step into it and to shine the light. The, the darkness needs the light so that someone knows which way to go. And I was brought up in the church that we quoted the verse, come out and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts. And we interpreted that to mean don't talk to a non-believer lest they contaminate you. How many you know that a non-believer can't contaminate you? Much like Jesus would touch people with leprosy and he didn't receive their leprosy, but he actually trans, uh, transformed them from leprous to healed. That's why he went to houses later that said, this was the house of Simon the leper and it should have been the house formerly known as Simon the leper. The artist formerly known as Prince, right? Because he's no longer a man with leprosy, he's a man that's been healed because Jesus doesn't receive leprosy, he annihilates leprosy. We don't receive darkness, we expose it. We shine the light. And he ends with this encouragement. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen. Whether that's judging the non-believer for being in darkness, whether that's having a hard time understanding how we Christians that are jars carry the glory, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what's unseen. What seems temporary, what's unseen is eternal. So here's a thought. Focusing on the unseen is one of the, uh, one of the keys to overcoming what we do see. Focusing on the unseen is one of the keys to overcoming what we do see. Please, this is not a spiritual, <laughs> a spiritual counterfeit to going into denial. I'm not talking about let's bury our heads in the sand and pretend that these circumstances aren't bad. It's not what we're saying at all. I'm saying we see past them, we see through them, we know who is seated on a throne, he's high and exalted, his train fills the temple, angels worship him, he's never lost a battle and he's not going to start today. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. We live in a world that's visible, it's touchable, it's hearable, and sometimes, I don't know if this is a word, but it's smellable, can I get an amen, Okay. In, in our, but in, in the spiritual world, we should have the same opportunities, that it can be visible. How many of you have ever had a dream that you know came from the Lord? You had a dream. He was showing you something. Or you've ever had a, a moment of, of prayer, and we'll, we'll use the word vision. I had a vision from God. Let's not, let's not hype it up. How many just had this kind of this word picture, this thing? It just, you kind of saw it. Guess what? That is a vision from God, okay? So if we can see in the natural, we can see in the supernatural or in the spiritual. If we, how many of you have ever said, I heard the Lord speaking to me, but you didn't mean that he audibly spoke, but you could hear him, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't something that was touching up against your eardrums and working in your inner ear, but you were hearing the Lord speak to you. So if things are visible, touchable, hearable, smellable, it's the same way in the spirit, and I want my spiritual sensitivity to be activated. 
Think about it. Here we go. This will kind of lay the foundation. Number one, the natural world isn't the real world. It's part of it. I'm, I'm not denying that it's not part. I mean, it's, it is part. It's just not all of it. And we're in a culture, it's very odd to me, that when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to the Lord, they want to pretend that that's fictitious and that everything is just natural. And if you can't prove it or touch it in the physical, it's not real. And yet, <laughs> it's off the chart, the shows on cable when it comes to hypnosis and psychics and afterlife and people having a spiritual encounter. It's because there is a hunger there. The enemy just doesn't want people to know that Jesus will satisfy that hunger. Jesus will give you that direction. Number two, the spiritual world isn't just our future, it's our now. It's for the present. Now, I was brought up kind of thinking about my spiritual world being my futuristic opportunity, okay? And part of it is because we sang songs like, I've got a mansion over the hilltop, and in that bright land, I'm never going to grow old. And I remember looking around going, you already are. You people are old singing this song, saying that you're never going to grow old. You couldn't get much older, okay? So you got a mansion over the hilltop, and one glad morning when this life is over, what are you going to do? You're going to fly away. And everything was about futuristic, and I really wasn't instructed on how to walk in the spiritual right here, right now. Because when I accepted Christ, I didn't accept the future salvation, I accepted a current salvation, and God's word says that old things passed away and all things became new. I've got new spiritual DNA. I've been, I've been changed into a completely different person. I am spirit and physical. Guess what? I am, from this point forward, eternal. It's already started. Okay? Number three, the scriptures exhort us to live in the concurrent awareness of both the natural and spiritual realms. Okay? Are you getting something already today? Okay, sermons.com, sermons.com. It's been a busy week. I found this one, and I'm hoping it works out for us today. They exhort us to live in a concurrent awareness of both the natural and the spiritual realms. I get these questions, and maybe you have the, this question. Well, you're, you're going through something as a family, and you'll say, boy, do you think this is spiritual? You ever done that one? Is this a spiritual battle, or is this natural? Are we? I, I, honestly, I think it is, yes. It is natural and it is spiritual. I've learned that when I'm facing something and spiritually I feel oppressed, it affects my physical life. It just does. I've also learned that when physically I don't feel well, that I can let that hinder me in my spiritual walk. That these things work together. It's not, I'm not dichotomized. Brad Riley's not compartmentalized. I'm all here right now. The flesh, the emotion, the spirit, right? It's all flowing. So um, I need to live in an awareness that I might be praying. Yes, I might just have a sinus infection, and it wasn't a, a, a spirit of sinus infection, okay? I might have just uh, mowed the lawn on the wrong day, and everything kicked up, and then I can't leave worship the, effectively the next day at church. I don't know. That might be what it is. But you know what? Mowing the wrong day, having your allergies set you off, is that a physical thing? Yes. Can it hinder spiritually? Sure it, sure it can. Sure it can. You all know how this works. So we need to live with this, this awareness that both are happening. 
So here's a story that I want to share with you. And guess what? We're going old school. We're going Old Testament. To, to, to start opening our eyes to some strategy on what's really more than meets the eye. Now, just to give you a little background, we're going to talk about Elisha today. And he is one of my favorites in the scriptures. And man, he, he saw and he heard the direction of the Lord. At this particular time, the king of Aram and, and Israel were in quite the battle. And so the king of Aram, he was a control freak. And so he would tell his commanders where he wanted his army to go. He didn't necessarily let the commanders make that decision. So he would say, this is where I want you to go. This is where I want you to stake out. And as he would tell them that, the Lord would tell Elisha, this is what the king has told his army. And so Elisha would contact the king of Israel and say, hey, um, don't go to the south side of the community this week because that's where the army of the Arameans are going to be. And so you just need to be aware of that. Israel didn't feel like they could conquer the battle. So whenever the, the king of Aram would send his army one direction, they would go the other direction. How many kind of grew up going that the best way not to get beat up was to avoid the fight? Okay, and that, the, that's what they were doing. They were just avoiding the fight. Eventually, the king of Aram gets furious. He is like, who has betrayed me? Everything that we talk about in our strategy meetings, the Israelites know, and he just assumes that he has a traitor. Here, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. The king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. So you have the leader of a foreign nation that wants to destroy Israel, making strategic military decisions on their destruction, and God giving a word to his prophet who is protecting the nation because he's speaking to the governmental leader and the leader's receiving the instruction from God. How crazy is that? God actually designed that kings would lead with prophets speaking into their ear so that they could lead the nation effectively. The reason that we always as a nation vote on Tuesdays, by the way, is because the ministers would stand on the platform and they would give biblical perspective to whatever issues our nation was facing. And they would talk about the biblical perspective of leadership. And they would share that with their local congregations. And as a nation, we would fast and pray on Mondays before we would elect our leaders on Tuesdays. Because we wanted the direction of the Lord. Things are so flip-flop now that the government is trying to tell the church what we're supposed to do. That's never the way God intended it. God intended that men and women of God would hear from him, give direction to leaders, and the leaders would say, thank you, Lord, for giving me the direction for our people. It's not that ministry is trying to control leadership. It's that we each have a role to play, a part to play. 
has nothing to do with my message, but it just seemed like the right time to talk about it. So he's furious. He's furious because he's making plans and he's not being able to execute those plans. And his officials speak up to him. And they said, sir, none of us have betrayed you. Here's the problem. How, how well known is a prophet of God when the commanders of a foreign army say, sir, none of us have betrayed you. Here's the deal. The man of God knows the things that you're saying in your bedroom. The Lord's just exposing it to him. Now, I would think the king would pull back and go, then we're fighting a battle we shouldn't be fighting. If the man of God is hearing what I'm talking about in my bedroom, and that scares me, but if he's hearing that, we're just going to back off from Israel. Let's go beat up on the Moabites for a while. Let's, let's go have a battle with the Hittites. Let's leave the Israelites alone. Not this moron. What does he do? He's like, send all of the army to Elisha's town. Surround it during the night. We're going to take the man of God out. You think that maybe the man of God might know that's coming? Is, is this the one plan that God's not going to let Elisha know? Elisha's going to wake up the next day and go, oh my God. The Lord's going to go, I got gotcha. You're coming home, son. Right? I mean, really? Is that what the Lord's going to do? Look in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. They surround this town at night. Horses, chariots, there they are. Elisha's servant gets up in the morning. That's the way it should be. Our servants should get up in the morning and we should sleep longer. Can I get an amen? The servant of the man of God got up. Lord, raise up people in my life that will be, never mind. All right. The servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Look at this. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Now notice the Lord is small l. This isn't the servant calling out to the Lord Adonai. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? No, this is him looking at Elisha that's got them in this mess in the first place. My Lord, what shall we do? Now he is reacting in fear. Has anybody ever reacted in fear before? Seven of us, thank you. God, I, I hope this message touches your heart. Um, here's a thought. It is difficult not to be reactionary to the scene, especially when fear comes alongside to take advantage of our ignorance to the unseen. And I'm giving you thought before I lay out what takes place here. Servant of the man of God wakes up. He sees an army surrounding the city. And... and, and the author is specific to let us know it's not just an army, but they got horses and chariots. So this is a well-equipped, strong army. And the servant looks up and he's like, I've got Elisha and this stinking mule that I got up to feed. And there they are. What are we going to do about it? I mean, there is an immediate fear response. And I am sure that all of us have had times, I'm just going to go there, where the phone rang at 3 o'clock in the morning and you were afraid before you even answered the call. And you know what I'm talking about. You were already afraid because you don't get a good phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning. Or you know that your spouse was supposed to be home from work an hour and all of a sudden there's a knock at your door. I mean, we, we've had moments where we've had fear rise up 
2 Kings chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. I love how the prophet just says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Can you feel the anointing on that? Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, capital L, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. (laughs) This is just amazing stuff. We don't even know if Elisha was seeing into the supernatural at the time. It never says that he saw an angel army on chariots of fire. He prayed not that his eyes would be opened, he prayed that his servant's eyes would be opened. And when his servant's eyes were opened, his servant saw what was already there. They didn't come down, they were already there. So Elisha knew they were there. Well, Pastor Brad, he was a prophet, he had had visions, he probably was seeing them. He, he very well could have been. Living in that spiritual, natural plane, concurrently, being able to see, oh, I do see their army, but I see our army. Okay, I love that. I also love that if he couldn't see the spiritual army that was with them, that it didn't change the fact that he knew they were there. He was living in such an awareness of the presence of God and the army of God that it didn't matter how many enemies rose up against them. God's here. God's got this under control. Now, I kind of wonder about the servant's reaction. I know how I tend to be a little bit emotional from time to time. I probably would be the guy that would get up in the morning, look up and go, oh, dear Father in heaven, look at that army. And then when the Lord opens my eyes to see the heavenly army, I would be the one going, come on down, bring it. You are going down. You know what I mean? I tend to be that guy. I I know who I am. It would probably happen. So I kind of wonder about this servant. I'm wondering if he's out there going, oh, you are in for a beating. You are in so much trouble. I don't know. But I do know that when the army comes down, Elisha just prays this prayer. He knew his authority. He knew where his confidence was. And he just says, Lord, strike him with blindness. And the Lord did it. An army couldn't see. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the story. Because we're going to focus, I'm going to give you five insights from this story that's going to help you when it comes to walking in more than meets the eye in your life. I I will tell you, I won't read the end of the story, but they literally led this army of blind people right to be captured by the armies of Israel. I mean, hey, just follow me. Once again, what kind of a king sends an army to get a man of God that already knows everything that you're doing? And what kind of commander that can't see trust <laughs> when your enemy says, oh, follow me, we'll get you out of here. And you lead a blind army to be captured. Where, I mean, where are the brains with these people? Can I get an amen? Okay. Here's some insights from unexpected mo- or for unexpected moments. What are your unexpected moments? 
there is, they're as diverse as everybody in this room. It can be the doctor's report, it can be a car accident, it can be a job loss, it can be a company change, it can be whatever. It, it, Pastor Brad, couldn't it be a full, long, uh, full uh, spiritual onslaught against my family and children? Yes, it, it, it can be whatever. Let's get some, some insights for these unexpected moments that we face. Here we go. Number one, don't be afraid. Well, that's easy for you to say. Let's talk about it. Fear knocks on the door every time. Fear knocks on the door in good situations and bad situations. Jesus rose from the dead, walks in to see his disciples, and says, don't be afraid. I mean, we're talking about the Son of God walking into your, into your room, and he still knew they were going to be afraid. Jean-Guy and I were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago. And I remember on a particular Saturday night, and Beth probably will remember this, I went downstairs to pray, down to the basement, down to the deep, dark basement. And I was walking back and forth, and I was praying, and I'm like, God, I want to see you. I want to see you. Let me see you. You have no respecter of persons. You let Beth see you. That's not even fair. Let me see. I, well, I didn't get angry about it. But I'm like, and I start telling him all the prophets that have seen him, all the people that I've heard that have seen him. I want to see you. And I'm back and forth. And it's an intense prayer time. And I am passionately going after God. And I, and I, I like to pace when I pray. I want to see you, Lord. Let me see you. And when I turned to walk back, I felt the most incredible presence of the glory of God right behind me. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, turn around. My head went down. I closed my eyes and I turned around and the Lord said, look up. You know what I said? No. He said, you want to see me? Look up. I said, no. I couldn't. I was scared to death. Not because... He's not merciful and kind. The presence of God was so overwhelming, I didn't feel like I had the right to look up. I, all I could do was look down. I'm like, I'm sorry, I am sorry. I do not deserve to see you. And I do deserve to see him by the blood of Jesus. But it was being so amazed by the glory of his presence, I didn't look up. I'm like, I am not Elisha, I am not Moses, I am not all these wonderful people. I know you have no respect to persons, but don't kill me. And yet I knew he wasn't going to kill me. It was just his presence was overwhelming. When God's presence comes into a room, we need to know not to be afraid. When you get a phone call, we need to learn not to be afraid. When you see an army that's surrounding your community, and I'm going to go there. When you hear about all the horrible atrocities of ISIS, and you hear about the persecution that's coming against followers of Jesus all over the world, and even in our own country that's being kept as quiet as possible. Listen, we can't be afraid. Even if they take my body, they can't take my soul. Even in the, in the worst case scenario, I still win. Worst case scenario, I see Jesus quicker than I expected that I would. But my goodness, if we're afraid, we're not going to win anybody to Christ. Here's an army surrounds him. Don't be afraid. Fear knocks at the door. Let me, let me tell. I'm going I'm to identify fear 
as a spirit for a moment. There is a spirit of fear. That's why God's word says that you weren't given a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, if I remember correctly, right? You haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So there is a spirit of fear. The advantage that the spirit of fear has over you is that the spirit is a spirit and it's living in the spiritual realm so it sees all of the spiritual stuff going on when you don't. You know what the spirit of fear saw when, when, Eli, when Elisha's servant got up and saw that army? You know what the spirit of fear knew was there? The heavenly army. But he knew that Elisha's servant didn't know that. So it's projecting fear to the servant so the fear caves by what it sees, not recognizing that there's so much here that I don't see. And I'm going to say this. The reason that the spirit of fear is so effective is because the spirit of fear is afraid. It's afraid. Have you ever been really afraid? Have you ever, have you ever walked into a dark room the light didn't work, or you went in the basement, or you were left in a church too late, whatever the case may be, and you've had that feeling like somebody's behind me and they're getting ready to rip my head off, and I am scared to take me out of here, Jesus. Have you ever had that kind of fear? Listen, that's a spirit that will come to project fear on you. And the moment you say, I'm afraid, you own it. You start partnering with that spirit. I'm telling you, the reason the spirit of fear projects on you the way it does, because it sees what it's afraid of. It, know, it knew there was an angelic, an angelic army there that was getting ready to give deliverance, and the fear that it is was projected toward the servant. Fear is going to be projected to you over and over again. I'm telling you what, not just in bad situations, but in great situations, the Lord's opening up a new opportunity for you and your family. We're getting ready to go through this door, and then we go, oh, I'm really afraid of this change. It's, it's a common first fastball that the enemy throws to get a strike against us. Starts it off on the inside corner every time. He wants to get ahead in the strike count, wants to brush us back a little bit, wants to make us nervous, wants to, to keep us from going forward with the things that God has for us. Don't give in to a spirit of fear. When we receive the projection of fear, we need to unleash the resources of heaven that are available to us. Here's something I do. You don't have to quote this. It's not just A, B, C, and D, but I'm like, I've not been given a spirit of fear. I have power, love, and a sound mind. I am not afraid, and the gates of hell is not going to stand against me as I move forward in Christ Jesus. Don't be afraid. Number two, ask God to open your eyes. Just like, he did, like Elisha did for his servant. God, open my eyes, my spiritual eyes. Let me see what you see. When your eyes are open, I don't know if you've ever done this. Lord, would you send your armies? They're already there. Psalm 91 says that his angels are with you so that you don't even dash your foot against a stone. I mean, they're already with you. You don't need to say, Lord, please send me your, your angelic army. You already have an angelic army. They are surrounding you, but oh Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes to what's here with me because in the natural, I see what is intimidating, but in the spiritual is where my confidence is gonna come from. Lord, open my eyes. Let me see what I'm not seeing. And listen, 
If he opens your eyes in the spiritual realm, you might even see some stuff you don't like looking at. But it identifies it. There have been times that I've been praying and the Lord has shown me demonic strongholds that are attacking my life or attacking my family. They're not pretty. And I've had people I've talked about this. They're like, oh, I don't even want to see that. Why would you not want to see that? Because if the enemy is hiding in the corner of my house, I want to see that he's there so that I can make him leave in Jesus' name. You know what I'm saying? Lord, open my eyes to the good and the bad. Number three, allow God to show you his answer for your situation. This is not cut and dry stuff. This, this happens a lot. You all know that we're praying for Riley Moore. Uh, Riley Moore, 40 days in the hospital yesterday. But Riley Moore <laughs> was handed an iPad yesterday and he asked for a Dr. Pepper as he typed it in. I mean, he, he'll be able to speak as soon as this, uh, this trach is removed. And I, as I recall, he breathed on his own for 16 hours yesterday. Two-thirds of the day, it was all him breathing on his own. I mean, God's doing a miracle. He's doing a miracle. And I have been so greatly encouraged by the fact that God raised John Smith from the dead last year and that that young man walked out of the hospital when he did, and that was so encouraging. But in the encouragement of that... I have made sure not to tell Craig and Cheryl, this is going to happen the way that it did for John Smith. Because John Smith and Riley Moore are completely different. And just because John Smith walked out on, was it day 14 or 15? It's not less of a victory if Riley Moore walks out on day 50. I mean, it's Pentecost as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, you, you can claim anything you want here. It, it, God is doing something specifically in his life. It, it, it's taking longer. God's doing a different work. He's got a different reason, a different agenda. Allow God to show you his answer for your situation. Listen, Mark Hollander shared with us this week, and he put it out in public for everybody to know. This man's been cancer-free. Well, they found some tumors in his last scan a week and a half ago. Well, I know what we're going to do. I know part of the strategy because Mark already lives in a, a church that's been declared to be a cancer-free zone. So we remind the enemy of that and we encourage ourselves in the Lord and remind ourselves of that. But I also know that he and Melissa are seeking the Lord specifically, God, in the medical side of this, what do you want us to do? What is the decision? We're going to pray prayers of faith. We're going to fast. We're going to make declaration. But we also need direction medically. Lord, what do you want us to do? We have to do that when we face these moments. And guess what? We win. We win. In Jesus' name, we win. Allow God to show you his answer for your situation. You know, when our family faced something like this, this is what we did. Well, good for you. But that might not be what we're supposed to do. The Lord might be calling us to a fast to face this. The Lord might call us to, to go out and march around our territory. I, we've just got to hear what he has to say. Number four, I'll quit rambling. Activate God's spiritual strategy to change the natural circumstances. Activate God's spiritual strategy to change the natural circumstances. I'm not even sure what this means for you. But I, I have an example from what it meant in Elisha's moment. When, the, when the, army started, the natural army started coming toward Elisha, their resources of heaven were there 
angels, chariots of fire. Elisha released the resources of heaven through a prayer saying, strike that army with blindness. That's what he felt he was supposed to do in that moment, and God honored it. Pastor Brad, how did he know that there's this angelic army with chariots of fire? How did he know to pray that prayer? I have no idea, except that that's what the Holy Spirit quickened him to do. You might be in a situation in your life, you might see angels and chariots of fire surrounding you, but that doesn't mean that you want to pray that your children are struck with blindness. Okay? I'm being a bit facetious, but I'm being truthful at the same time. You might have a child going through some rebellion, and your family's interceding and praying, and you're like, Lord, show me, and and the Lord shows you your child, and you see an angelic army, chariots of fire around them. Don't go, oh, okay, Lord, strike her with blindness. Okay, don't do that. What's he showing me then? Well, that's for you to discern from the Holy Spirit. If that was me, and I saw my child surrounded by our, I would, I would begin to say, Lord, use those angels to destroy every lying spirit that's attacking my child. And I thank you that you've still surrounded her in the middle of this moment of rebellion, that you're not letting the enemy steal, kill, or destroy her life. I see your, you see what I'm saying? You've got to really discern that. So it's more than one answer. It really is up to what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And number five, And it should be the the one I shouldn't even have to mention, but we will. Expect God to intervene on your behalf. Let's do a charismatic thing. Will you say this with me? Say, I expect God God to intervene intervene on my behalf. behalf. Let's do it again. This time, let's do it as Baptists, okay? (laughs) Rather than charismatics. Let's say it this way. Say, I expect God God to intervene. On my behalf, if it be his will. (laughs) And it is. And it is. Because you're the apple of his eye. You're his child. Listen, I'm not going to accuse our Heavenly Father of being foolish, because God's Word says the foolishness of God is wiser than our wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than our strength. But I know as a parent, I, I intervene on my children's behalf. And there are times that I have to force my parenthood to be quiet, not to intervene. Any other parents go through that? Like, that's not my fight, that's her fight. I'm going to watch and pray and give covering. But Lord, as soon as you release me, I'm there, Father. I'll go. And there's something about your kids. There's something about your kids. And you need to know there's something about you. You're his. You belong to him. And there's not one moment that the Lord delights in seeing the enemy whoop you. There's not one. He doesn't delight in his church being persecuted. He doesn't delight in the sickness that we battle. He doesn't delight in the way that the enemy attacks your life, your security, your purpose, your prosperity, your livelihood. He doesn't like any of that. And I believe with all my heart that there are times that he is just watching you going, learn to release what I've already given you. 
You've got my name. You've got my authority. You've got my power. The gates of hell aren't going to stand against you. Every Wherever you put your feet, I've given it to you. And I am the God of peace. And I'm soon going to crush Satan underneath your feet. So step out with the faith that I've empowered you with. Okay, you've got that. Expect God to intervene. This is what I'm going to conclude with. It leads into next week. We'll leave these up here for him, Dan, if you don't mind. Lots of times when we talk about expecting to see an answer of prayer, so many times it really goes to physical healing. I am amazed. I'm going to be 47 this year. Lord, help us all. And it's one of the questions is in a church that preaches healing, and we've seen so many people healed, it is, it is in the top five of questions that I get asked regularly but we believe in healing and we've seen this and that. How come not here? How come not now? Whatever, okay? And that's what got me really meditating on rather than how come not, Lord, show us the ways that you do heal. So next week, and I, we will get through as many of them as possible, and I might speak really fast, and some of them you might just get a verse and a couple of little thoughts, but we're going to start looking at the many different ways that healing is given to God's people. Rather than saying, why not? Why not? Why not go ahead and learn? Here is, here is, here is. Is it going to answer every question? Not a chance. <laughs> we, <laughs> there's no way. We, we're always going to have questions, but it's going to help us with some of this as we walk this out. We've got a lot of things we're going to talk about in the next four weeks, but I'm excited about that.